We, over the last few weeks, months, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, that's going to be handy. If you need one, there's some in the red box down here. Um, We've got some Farsi ones as well, if you need one. Um, And over the last few chapters, God has been putting on display his immense, celestial, mind-blowing patience and his attentive, whelming, careful power. And God has made an absolute mockery of Egypt's gods, and not to mention Pharaoh himself, nine plagues, and still Pharaoh will not release God's people. If you've got a Bible, just look back at chapter 11 and verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. One more plague, one more affliction. He says, after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who sits at her handmill. And the result of this would be the day of liberation that God's enslaved people were so deeply longing for. And God goes on to give Moses exactly a rundown of how that will play out. So in chapter 12, the Lord begins to give Moses and Aaron instructions to pass on to the Israelites themselves. Instructions on what they should do on that night. Exercising their faith muscles. They're to get a one-year-old lamb, as we heard last week, and the lamb would die in the place of their own firstborn sons. And they were to smear the blood of the lamb on the door frames, remember? Verse 8, chapter 11 says, That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs, and bread made without yeast. See, this isn't a slow cooker meal. This, is, this truly is fast food. There's no fire drills planned. When the news comes that it's time to go, it really is time to go. Did you notice last week that they're eating the meal with their shoes on and their coat on and their staff in their hand as if though they are ready to go? And there's no time to let the bread rise. He says, make bread without yeast. Just make the bread without yeast. It's going to be a bit flat, but don't worry about it. It's fine. Chapter 12, verse 34. This is that very night where Pharaoh said, leave, right? Verse 34 said, so the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. Just grab everything you can and go. There's no waiting about. Verse 39. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, ironically... The earliest record of yeast being used in bread comes from the ancient Egyptians. 
thought that was quite interesting. And yeast is used to make not just bread, but beer and wine. You know, I still remember getting the train and going into Edinburgh when I was younger and that like really overwhelming smell of yeast coming from the distilleries. Sometimes when you get a fresh roll or a butty or bap, whatever you want to call it here, um, it sometimes smells a bit like beer. Or sometimes you have a beer that smells a bit like bread. That's the yeast you're smelling. Um, yeah, and the sort of bread that they would normally eat that they would normally make is essentially sourdough. And so if you jumped on the sourdough baking bandwagon during lockdown, I see some of you smiling, you'll be familiar with this. Um, If you make bread without leaven or yeast, it is pretty flat. Actually, here's one I made earlier. (laughs) It's it's a bit rubbish. (laughs) If I'd made that in home economics in school, I think I'd get told off. Um, It's crumbly. It's, there's not much to it, so when you eat it, it, it is rubbish. It's supposed to be rubbish. But, um, I don't know, I don't know what I was going to do with that. <laughs> and so, yeah, the leavening agent that they used was yeast, okay? Um, and yeast is essentially fermented old bread. They'd make, make bread, and then they'd keep a little bit back, let it ferment, and then they'd put that in the next loaf, and that's what would make the bread rise into the fluffy, cloudy, you know, what we're used to with bread. And I don't know about a lot of you guys, but different foods and different tastes and smells remind me of different things. Maybe you get that. So, for example, peanut butter sandwiches remind me of study leave when I was in school. Not that I studied, but, you know, it brings back memories of that. Sour cream Pringles remind me of the first lockdown. You can ask the Fentons more about that if you want. Um, But unleavened bread, eating that for the Israelites would remind them distinctly of this night. The night of nights where they finally left Egypt after 400 years. And so God uses this as the basis for this festival of remembrance that we've just read about. So here's the first point. Puns. They need to remember. They need to remember. Fenton showed us last week That this moment would become such a defining time for them. That the Israelites would base their whole calendar around it. It's a a whole new beginning for them as a people. And every glance at their calendars and their diaries would be a reminder of exactly that. Um, Our own calendars are the same. We live approximately, give or take, 2,024 years after Jesus was born. Look back at chapter 12, verse 2. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. And that's obviously not just for one year. That date's going to come around every year, isn't it? And so the Lord says in verse 14, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Let me read on, verse 15. For seven days you were to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. 
Do no work at all in these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That's all you may do. And our own calendars are full of days set aside to celebrate and to remember particular things, aren't they? Mother's Day is coming up soon. Father's Day. As individuals, we all hold special days, birthdays, anniversaries of maybe loved one's death, maybe first dates. I don't know. There's all sorts of different ones. On a more solemn note, the UK and other countries have Remembrance Day or a couple days where we remember those who served and suffered in war, don't we? And here we read the Lord telling them to add this date to their diaries. The anniversary of the date that he would bring them up out of Egypt. But why does it need to be a whole festival? Why does God make such a big deal about this? Or rather, why does God expect the Israelites to make such a big deal about this in the years to come? I think I'm a pretty nostalgic person. I'm, I'm quite sentimental um, and dangerously so. Um, we all have a tendency to look back on the past with rose-tinted glasses, don't we? We blot out all the, all the bad stuff and we just, we just remember the good stuff, the good old days. It is amazing. Once the Israelites leave Egypt, how quickly their thoughts turn from God and his promises back to Egypt. Just turn over a couple of pages to chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 1. So this is, it says, the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. Just one month later. Verse 2 says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and all the food we wanted. Rose tinted glasses, right? And a few more chapters, their own worship of the Lord God will begin to look like that of the Egyptians and their false gods. It's an absolute shambles. And this goes on in this community, on and on and on for 40 years, and then every year ever since in some way or another. It's one thing to take the people out of Egypt. It's another thing to take Egypt out the people. So come back to chapter 12. Now, if you think about it, when the Israelites were actually leaving Egypt, they only, probably only had to eat unleavened bread for one, two, maybe three days. But do you notice that there is no sentimental nostalgia allowed here? Look at verse 15. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. Seven days. So they're not just to cast, a, 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 cast their minds back to a, a quick thought, say a quick prayer and move on. They're to dwell on it. This old way of life. Egypt was absolutely appalling for these people. It's heartbreaking to think about. And yet God heard their cry and delivered them. 
They needed this. As a people who were so prone to grumbling and moaning, they need to remember. They need to stop every year and remember the goodness of God to them in the Exodus, his grace that he lavished on them, his mercy. He tells them in verse 16, that on the first and the seventh days of the festival, they are to hold sacred assemblies. Some of your Bibles might say a holy convocation, which basically means that they're to treat those days as Sabbaths. Those, these days that have already been set apart, these days on the bookends are going to be set, in, set apart. God says, do no ordinary work other than pre- preparing food. Set those days apart from every other day to remember your salvation. Spend quality time as individuals, as families, singing, worshipping God, praying, giving thanks. They would have no excuse that they were too busy to do their quiet time or they've got too much work to do. God says, I don't want you to work to the whole nation. Don't expect each other to work. Sit down. Worship, give thanks. There's another kindness of God to them. Sometimes the Bible seems to repeat itself. And so if you look at verse 17 to 20, it looks like these verses sort of sit apart from the rest of the passage. Why has the writer included it? And why does he seem to be saying the same things over and over again? He's just told us some of this information, hasn't he? I guess you could say that these verses almost act like a God-inspired footnote, or rather, a God-inspired study Bible. (laughs) Because when you're reading this, and when, when the readers were reading these instructions for this festival, they're bound to have questions about the specifics, right? And so you can tie each of the things that he writes there between verse 17 and 20 back to something that he's already said in verses 14 to 16. So just look with me. Look at verse 15. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. Well, what seven days? Is that any seven days? Just set seven days apart? No. Look at verse 18. In the first month you were to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th until the evening of the 21st oh well that clears that up then doesn't it look back at verse 15 it says for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh day must be cut off from Israel okay well clearly that's just for the Israelites right No, verse 19. Anyone, anyone, whether foreigner or native born, here is how you know who is part of this community of the people of God. All right, but surely then, if you're not living in Israel for whatever reason, you're exempt. What if you're away for work? What if you're on your gap year? Or what if you're going to university? I don't know what they would have done. What if you are displaced from your home? For whatever reason. Verse 20. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Everyone must take part. 
every house, every Israelite, wherever you are. Look at verse 24. This is Moses speaking to the elders of Israel now. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you as he promised. Observe this ceremony. Wait a minute. They haven't even left Egypt yet and he's already setting up regular patterns and festivals for them to celebrate once they get there. If anyone else was to start talking like this, you'd think they were being arrogant, wouldn't they? Leaving Egypt is still a dream. The promised land is still a promise. But it is absolutely guaranteed that they will get there because this is the decree of the Lord God Almighty. And when they do, it wouldn't just be unfortunate for them to forget how they got there. It wouldn't just be unfortunate for them to forget this great salvation. They are not allowed to forget. And the Lord sets up these festivals and other ones as a safeguard for them. When they get there, when they get into the land that has been promised to them, they're not just to keep moving forward, keep building, never looking back. They're commanded to stop and reflect on God's power, his patience, God's passion for his people. God's people need to remember and in doing so it will inevitably give rise to questions and curiosity verse 26 says when your children ask you what does a ceremony mean to you what's this all about then tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. He spared our homes when he struck down the firstborns of the Egyptians. They are not allowed to forget. And as time moves on, as babies are born, as generations come, generations go, they're expected to pass on this story, this testimony to the grace of God. Quite literally, so that when their kids see them preparing and sharing in this meal, they might go, Mum, Dad, Grandad, Uncle Steve, what's all this about? Why does the bread taste like cardboard? They can answer. Because it reminds us that God has redeemed his people. We are who we are because God so loved us. And I know it can be a bit annoying when kids are, why? But why? But why? What's this? What's this? What's that? But why? But It's important that they ask. And it's important that we answer. And we're going to do exactly that in a bit. We're going to share in communion together. And we're going to invite the kids and the young people back into the hall so that they can actually see us as a church sharing communion together in the hope that they will go home and ask you what what was all that about why did you get to eat snacks in the service and the bread why are you ripping the bread and why are you drinking grape juice and and you can tell them you can share with them that Jesus died for you 
And the bread and the wine represent exactly that, his body and his blood. And maybe, maybe you find it, um, it doesn't come naturally to talk about Jesus in your home. When I was growing up, it certainly wasn't. And so I, I'm pleading with you, please allow this to stimulate whatever conversations come out of this. Use this as a reason to talk about Jesus. It's important that we pass this message on to our friends, our family, our kids, our neighbours. It is important that we give a reason for the hope we have. Well, there were dark periods in Israel's history where they stopped celebrating Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And the people grew further and further and further from God. And the nation is an absolute disaster. And they forget who they are. They forget whose they are. They forget what they were saved for. And there's stories in the Bible where they reinstate this festival and it is joyful. It is life-giving to them as a nation. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles at the end of the book. But it just goes to show the importance of taking time to remember. Taking time to talk about their salvation. And don't we need constant reminders too? Some of us might remember the exact day, time, moment where they became a Christian. Um, I, I don't really remember. It, it was more of a season for me, and that, that's probably true for a lot of you as well. But it doesn't really matter. The point is that you remember that you have been saved. If you are a Christian, you are not what you once were. And we set aside a few days in our calendar to reflect on the gospel, don't we? Christmas. We reflect and remember that God took on flesh. God became one of us. Jesus came to us as a baby, living as a human. And we consider that he lived the perfect life that we haven't, that we couldn't. And and God, therefore, can completely empathize with us as humans. And, And our struggle, every struggle of life that we have. Or Easter, Good Friday. We remember his suffering. That Jesus died a sinner's death. Jesus took on the wrath of God for us. That we might be free from condemnation for our sin. We would be free of shame. That we might become God's people. Jesus is our Passover lamb. We just sang that there. Son of God slain for us. God's firstborn son was slain for us. He is our Passover lamb. Easter Sunday didn't end on the Friday, did it? We remember Jesus rose from the grave, never to die again. And therefore, we also, all of us one day, will rise from the grave. Matt, what would Christianity become if we stopped remembering and celebrating these wondrous acts of God for us? What would the church become if we stopped talking about Jesus? What would we become if we stopped preaching the gospel? 
Christians, I say this tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek, never, never shut up about the gospel. <laughs> never let it be too far away from your thoughts, your conversations with one another. Every, every sermon we preach, every song we sing, every prayer, we are who we are because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the very songs of heaven are songs of a bloodied lamb. We will be singing gospel songs for all eternity. We will never, ever forget such a great salvation. The Passover was very much a one-time event. We rem- but we rem- remember it, don't we? Jesus' sacrifice was very much a one-time event. But in communion, we try to visualize it, to remember it. Remembering doesn't necessarily mean that we were eyewitnesses to it. It doesn't mean we had to be there. Remembering means that we won't let it be forgotten. 